At Realmetrics, we collect and analyze a ton of slot data, and we're hit up frequently for insights, tips, and tricks. So we decided to do a webcast in which we present, discuss, and otherwise nerd out on our work. Coming to you from our offices in lovely Leiden, the Netherlands, welcome to Realcast. Good morning, Don. How are things today in uh, the greater St. Louis area? We're fine, Nick. Any jet lag from driving home or flying Las Vegas? Oh, yeah. I'm completely raggled, upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new there. That was uh, took a couple weeks uh, following the show to visit some clients and, and uh, new folks around uh, the U.S. And so uh, just, just uh, hit Holland about... 36 hours ago and arrived to what is the balmiest and uh, sunniest late October in Dutch history. So it's trippy. It's about um, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, 21 Celsius here today, which is really weird for this time of year. So whatever nice that bonus. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Not not complaining, not complaining. So uh, here we are, our, our second episode. And uh, out of the gate, I have to say I was pretty pleased with how the first was received. Uh, remarkably, people actually listened and uh, we received some nice, nice comments from folks. So that was that was great. Uh, there were a few, nice. yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, there are a few requests that we uh, get this into the various uh, podcasting services and we're, we're working on that. And of course, uh, we all had great fun comparing your voice to mine. So, that was, <laughs> so I think we landed on you having the the silky baritone of a Barry White, whereas I landed closer to Paul Lind, as we uh, <laughs> like to to say. Uh, and here's the kicker: while I was in the Midwest, to my horror, I think I discovered that there's some there's some Ethel Merman in there uh, also. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, that's a okay. name I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need to update my references here. <laughs> Two people who haven't been alive for four years or whatever. Uh, so no good, no good. But uh, at least I can't be accused of loving the sound of my own voice. So I, I'm okay there. Um, also, we have another G2E in the tank. It was uh, it was a great show. Attendance was way up. Uh, the international vendors were back. Parties returned. And uh, we were so slammed with meetings and demos that I, I think I clocked a max of around 30 minutes on the floor. So um, considering the time, effort, and money that the vendors pour into these shows, uh, it certainly wouldn't be fair for me to comment about anything I saw. But I, I noticed that you managed to get a couple hours down there. So just wanted to see, uh, ask you, did anything catch your eye that you saw there this year? Yeah, a couple. I only got to spend about three, four hours down there. Like you said, we had a lot of meetings with clients and potential clients. But um, what I did see, I um, had a really nice um, tour of the IGT booth. That Diamond RS real cabinet is sharp. And I'm not a big real fan. Mm -hmm. um, I went probably 10 years <laughs> without buying a real product. Everything was video, video, video. But um, they did a really nice job with that Diamond RS cabinet. Uh, the Neptune single from Aristocrat looks nice. Um, they've done a really nice job. They, their graphics are amazing. Yeah. I did On the see smaller that package. Side, that was, that was sharp for sure. Yeah. They've, it's, they've come such a long way. I remember going out and buying, you know, Mark fours and Mark fives back in the day. And you can see the dots on the screen from the <laughs> graphics and they've come such a long way. Um, the other one that caught my eye from a smaller vendor was the gaming arts. 
the um, Vertex Grand. Um, that's a sharp looking cabinet. The graphics on it are really good. So we'll, um, we'll see if their games perform, but it sure is a sharp looking cabinet, but everything is so big nowadays. I feel sorry for the uh, VPs of slots out there that have to um, try to worry about sight lines on their floor because the, everything is six foot, seven foot, eight foot tall. Yeah, the and the riverboat operators with those low ceilings, I, I'm sure that stitches them up pretty pretty solidly. Yeah, there's a lot of places that can't even put the um, towers in because of the height. So, yeah, everything's getting taller and wider. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and those uh, I, I have to say those uh, I, I did take a look at the 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 Neptune single that one. Uh, I think you and I were together and I I saw that one. Not entirely yep. certain. Okay, and then we went over to uh, what was the? Do you recall the name of the new L and W cabinet that we saw there? Um, I don't think they've named that one yet. Okay, okay, okay. I think that was still a working title. All right. That was kind of a cool looking uh, new machine too. It was. Looked, uh, looked pretty sharp too. So, okay, cool. Well, um, I think um, what we can do now is we can get uh, cracking on the, the back half of our, our two-parter on inventory over diversification. That is, Don, did you have any other observations that you want to share about G2E or were those the... No, that's... Let's rock on this. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, before we jump in, though, let me state uh, again that we'd, we'd love to tackle any questions that anyone listening may have. So if you have a question about what we're presenting or, or something that you'd like us uh, to present, please drop us an email at realcast at realmetrics.com. Again, that's R-E-E-L-C-A-S-T at realmetrics.com. Our policy here is to keep all questions anonymous, so please speak directly and don't worry about us revealing your identity. That's, that's just not something we do. Okay, so without further ado, let's get at it. Um, in the first part on over-diversification, we focused on these points here. So we asked, what is over-diversification? Why should I care about it industry-wide? How problematic is it? And how did we get there? So we uh, covered all those points in the first, and now we're on to these two questions, which is, how do I know if my floor is over-diversified, and if it is, what can I do about it? So we'll we'll jump in here how we're uh, teasing out imbalances in inventory, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with a preamble here about uh, the importance of operations and marketing collaborating when it comes to uh, looking and attempting to achieve inventory balance. So getting getting your product balanced out on the floor. Without player data and not knowing who's playing what, trying to balance a floor is is truly a fool's errand. And, and within our best practices stack, we spend a lot of time focusing on the idea of what we call demand-driven mix management. And that is, we, we always start with the, with the players that are really uh, making or breaking our, our operations and, and really focusing on what their preferences are and then moving down uh, from there in, in descending order the, uh, to, from, uh, uh, from perspective of, of customer Value. So it's it's incredibly important when we're when we're doing this that we have an idea, a very very clear notion actually, of of who's playing what. So with that in mind, when we're first uh, taking a look at at uh, diversification. Let's start with the host level play 
and let's ask the question, what are they, not just what they're playing, but what are they pounding? What is this stuff that they love, that they come back trip after trip and just hammer? And then it's asked the question, do they struggle to get on these games? And, and good indicators of that, I mean, obviously, if you're looking at, you're comparing high occupancy and low occupancy periods, you see it, but a good indicator of that is that the mean occupancy on a given game exceeds something like 70%. And um, the other indicator of it is with these uh, host level players, if you see them uh, uh, ratcheting up, uh, let's say, a large number of fragmented sessions, that, that ricochet effect that we talked about in the previous episode where we see short bursts uh, on, on you know, low demand product and then never returning to it. So these are, these are great indicators that you have a diversification problem when you just don't have enough stuff for your, for your best players, then there's dog ear stuff on the floor that's, that's crowding it out. And so if you're, if you're undersupplying host level titles, I think you can just conclude that you're, you're over diversified, especially vis-a-vis -vis your most important player segment. So Don, is there anything you'd, you'd like to add in this, uh, in this point here? You know, the, the one thing I always looked at was handle pulls per day. Um, most people run a report that'll give you your handle pulls on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And you'll see those handle pulls, especially for your really good games being north of 250,000 for the month. Look at the ones for the weekends. If your host level players can't get on the games because these games are having seven, eight, ten thousand handle pulls on a day, you, it's probably a really good sign that they can't get on it. Plus, the other thing is listen to your customers. I was getting hints back at the property level of not having enough of the good machines on the floor. Your host level players will tell you, "Well, I really like playing this game, but I just can't get on it." Um, there's a lot of hints out there between besides handle pulls what your hosts are telling you, what your players are telling you, um, you'll figure it out really soon. But the big thing, like Nick, you said, was trying to figure out what these host level players are playing. Get into the system, try to figure it out, because that's what you really want to expand upon. Yeah, and as we had mentioned in the in the previous episode, we've we've seen that when they're undersupplied on the stuff that they want, the productivity of those host level players just plummets. So I, I think as what we had discussed and what we'd seen in validations in the field is that that productivity will drop something 50, 60, 70 percent, huge numbers. So um, it's it's really hard to overstate the importance of getting the host level players exactly the product that they want to play. One of the things that I've talked about with one of our clients recently was the number of host level players that are sitting at machines near the high demand, waiting for those to open, not playing, just sitting at machines. Ouch. Because I asked them, why, you know, why was the performance of some of these banks so much lower than I expected? And they went back and researched it, and they said that um, we've got our best players sitting at these machines, so they're not getting any coin in. So the performance on these machines is going down and they're not playing at all. They're just sitting there waiting and you don't want your best players just sitting around waiting. No, most certainly not. No, no, no way. Okay. Um, moving on. Um, other, other hints, other ways that you can look at it is to perform what we call these titles per terminal calculations. So that's, that's pretty simple. If you, you just take the total number of titles that you're running on the floor and then divide it by the number of cabinets. And what we find generally is that a number lower than four indicates 
over diversification. Now, one thing to keep in mind here is you want to do this a uh, little bit uh, focus on by game type, obviously. So you do number of titles. Let's say there's a number of slot titles divided by the number of slot cabinets. That's that's really what we're what we're uh, specifying there. And then another way to 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 get at this is to run uh, diversification analysis, which we uh, ran through in the previous episode. That is, you you ask the question, okay, out of our entire our entire library of titles that we're running on the floor. Um, how many of them are installed on just one unit, uh, two or fewer, three or fewer, et cetera. And then you calculate the performance per category. So you'd say, uh, and those are those are index values as you see there on the on the chart. So we'd see singletons at X versus floor average. We'd see twins then at Y versus floor average, triplets at Z versus floor average, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just a it's a it's a really simple way for you to tease this out. And and just look at how this stuff performs when it's so categorized. Don, I don't know. Do do you want to add anything on on this topic? Yeah, this one point? thing that the what I've I've looked at nearly probably a hundred casinos in the last year, trying to dive into this problem. And the one thing I keep coming back to is what? How many titles is fifty percent of your revenue? The one I looked at yesterday, I had a meeting with one of our clients yesterday, 66 of their themes make up half of their revenue on the yeah, floor. Yeah. And this casino has over 1,500 machines on their floor yeah. and just 66 themes. And that's probably the highest one I've seen. Most of them are 50, 48, 52, say 50 plus or minus five. So mm -hmm. 50 of your themes earn half of your revenue. And that'll give you a pretty good indication of how many themes that you really do need. And Don, what do you what do you feel is really the the big reservation behind doubling up and tripling up and and things of that nature? When when you have a title that's just you know really performing, I I'll, I'll see this. Let's say a four pack or a six pack, and they just have it. It seems to me that that it's led by one or two titles. Yet there, let's say on a six pack, you may see six titles out there. Yeah, the strategy when you buy a game is try to get as much play as possible out of that bank. So traditionally, you would buy two of each theme, say on a six pack or an eight pack, knowing that you're going to get trial mm -hmm. and that trial was going to account for something for your first 90 days. And then most of the time, you'd either use your performance guarantees and try something different, um, try to get more trial on those games because you knew for 90 days they'd do really well. Um, we found that really doesn't work well. You're better off going with a single theme or two themes on a bank and knowing that those really good games are going to hold up for a long time and you're not wasting the slot text time you're not wasting conversion capital or you're not putting on a game that's well we've looked at you know you're lucky that a third of the titles come out that are good titles which so if you're putting on three titles out of a bank of six one of them's going to work yeah yeah and i think that's a it's another area where i really feel that the best practice has changed because now we have the ability to to screen stuff before we're actually putting it out on the floor so i think you'd you'd largely guide uh, it sounds like to me that if you are putting in a six-pack uh, or, or whatever and you could screen two titles and you see that they have excellent performance and very little intermarket dispersion i think you'd guide just go with them right <laughs> just go with those titles right. and, and don't experiment there right for the smaller vendors with the smaller libraries, I would definitely go with one theme on a on a bank. Okay. Um, for the larger, you know, the um, Light and Wonders, Aristocrat, IGTs of the world, you can probably get away with two because you know their library is pretty deep. Yeah. 
but um, for the smaller ones, I would go with a bank of four or a bank of six and put their best theme out there. Their best themes are doing, you know, 1.3, 1.5 times house. So I'd be really happy with that for a, from a smaller vendor. Okay, great. Well, um, okay, another uh, a point that um, we want to emphasize here, another way to, to tease out imbalances, um, great place to always look is in your premium portfolio. And, and what we find there is that uh, as we look at these, as we, as we conduct these diversification analyses, uh, you know, casino to casino, what we see is that the supply of these high octane lease products uh, it is almost always too low. And as we've discussed uh, um, previously, this disproportionately affects your host level players who tend to really carry these high octane lease products. And if, you're, if your pre, uh, premium floor share is in the single digits, generally you can assume that you need more of them on floor. Again, Don, you, uh, you wanna add anything here? Yeah, surprisingly, your host level players are the ones that carry your lease games. Your core everyday $100 theoretical players tend to shy away from the lease games. They spend a very small percentage of their wallet on lease games, but your host level players will pound the good lease games with a very high average bet. So if you have one bank or two banks of these games and they're showing an occupancy rate above 85, 90%, you need to really expand because you're leaving money on the table. Yeah, and it's as as we've been um, working more and more with with player data. I, this is this is effectively where we start in every single venue is is looking at the the lease portfolio and and seeing what we can do there. And I don't, I believe in in every single case that we've evaluated uh, thus far, we've guided toward a pretty significant expansion uh, of of lease portfolios. I a, a few or a few of our clients are you know up in the yeah, 20% plus floor share on on some of this stuff, but but I would say the overwhelming majority, um, you know, kind of mid single digits, five six percent. We see some, you know, as low as you know two to four percent. Um, so generally speaking, we we feel that uh, when when that's the case, and you see it in the occupancy numbers, you just have a a, a balance problem on the floor. No no doubt about it. And the big problem was always are we moving money around? Yeah, and we've definitely proven that you can actually grow your host level player's wallet. Uh, the one I looked at yesterday was a, a simple floor change and they grew their host level player's wallet by 12%. Okay. And that's about as low as number we've seen. Yeah, so that's far. the lowest I've heard so far. I mean, we, yeah. and, I've been, they were very happy. You know, you've got a, you've got a group of players, you know, a thousand, 2000 players, you grow their wallet by 12%. That's uh They'll send any marketing person um, skipping down the hallways. Oh yeah, they'll be super excited for that. And in you know, I, but I would say in in uh, many of the at least when we were uh, playing with it in the field, we saw jumps of 50, 60, 70 percent in those in those trips. Exactly, a lot of them. So especially for the the casinos that had a very limited number of lease games. If you have one bank of Dragonlink, if you have you know, one bank of lightning link and you expand that, if you double that, triple that, the number, <laughs> the percentage is just astounding. It was north of 50%. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Those were all eye-popping numbers, every single thing that I saw. <laughs> I, I know yeah. you had uh, 
you had a, a few thank you notes uh, from general managers as, uh, as well, as I recall. So. That was that was really, it was, I, I just didn't expect that type of result, neither the day and neither did their marketing departments. So it's um, it's been some really neat validation studies. Well, it's interesting that you say you didn't expect it because it's precisely what we predicted. Right? I know. <laughs> it's just it. tough to get around that. You know, you've been, been trying to... Um, stay within your budget and keep those lease costs and those recurring costs down, control what you can control. And then you pop in, you know, 20, 30 more lease games. And all of a sudden you see your host level players react that way. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just what you've gone against for the last 30 years. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's always just lovely when hard data validate themselves. <laughs> I always love that. Yeah. So that was uh, uh, fantastic. Okay. So uh, moving on here. So let's say, okay, now I, I, I've determined through various analyses that I'm over diversified. So the question is now what? So when we look at cons floor consolidation within the short term, a number of uh, things to uh, um, tackle here. So first of all, where do we start again? Host-level inventory. So we know that these these host-level players have strong preferences for high-octane premium. And if you're seeing mean occupancy levels, let's say north of of 70%, that's probably indicating undersupply. That's uh, that's I, I think is is 70 a safe number, Don, or do you do you look a little north of there generally? Um, I've been a little more conservative and I've been north of 80. Okay. But if you're looking at the, the weekend numbers and if your weekend numbers alone are, are north of 80, you've got an issue. Uh, okay. As a blended average for a month, if you're north of 70, your weekends are probably pretty packed. Okay. And and generally, I think you and I have spoken. You Do you generally kind of target around that 65% that mean occupancy just overall? Absolutely. Especially for places that are open 24-7. Okay, it's a great rule of thumb then to to put out there. Um, the other thing is again returning to that that topic of the best practices stack and the fact that we can screen titles now. It's very easy to put in a performance baseline of 2.5x floor. So that's a the, a very important thing to to keep in mind. Once you have the the product installed and you're watching it over time, you can maintain that ba baseline of 2.5 because there are so many options out there of product that's doing that reliably with next to no intermarket dispersion. And importantly, you know, if you want to keep your your overall unit count static, then the best thing to do is to add this product at the direct expense of your doggy depreciated singleton core. So. Don, any any additional points here? One of the clients I was working with yesterday, a fairly new client, their lease game against house average ratio was above five. Oof. And <laughs> I I looked at him, I talked to him, and I said, "Congratulations, your lease games are doing super. That's a problem." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said you are leaving so much money on the table. If you've got lease games that are doing north of four and five times house average, your best players aren't getting on them and you're costing yourself money. Yeah. So thankfully they listened. I think they're going to expand. Good time for budget season. Yeah. Great. Great to hear that. No doubt. And indeed, a lot of people are are looking at these uh, decisions right now. So hopefully it's uh, it's timely what we're doing here. 
Um, secondly, uh, on your convertible core. So the the uh, point to uh, there, obviously, what you want to do this is this is really when I say convertible core, what we're saying is these are new cabinets. So let's say they're not depreciated; they're they're fewer than five years old, and they have deep libraries. Again, here we can screen before we put this stuff on floor. So we're looking at a performance baseline of 1.5x floor. That should be your baseline. And you want to look for product that has large samples. Again, very low intermarket uh, performance dispersion. And you know when you see that, that stuff on your floor is working and that the right players are going for it, you know, uh, fight any reservation you may have about replicating these well-performing high occupancy titles. Just put put more of them out there, um, and and simply, you know, in in these cases, exercise the free conversions or or spend the money because when you have just a, a boat anchor core product out there, it it just it, it's not doing anything for you. And when you know host level players or or your more important players get on that stuff, it actually hurts you as as we've covered. Uh, uh, in the previous episode. So Don, any, any more points on the convertible core? Yeah. Uh, carousels or banks of single title good games work extremely well. Um, some of the classic titles from Aristocrat, from IGT, some of the new stuff from Aristocrat, if you don't have at least a bank of Buffalo Gold collection on your floor, you're missing out if you just have two or three or four of them. And don't be afraid to denom up. Keep the same titles on the floor, but there's a lot of really good host level players that will play at a higher denomination. It's a great way to combat some of the higher labor costs that the casinos are experiencing. Put some of these games, keep them at pennies for your core players, but for your host level players, have a section of these games at two cents or five cents. Don't be afraid of having a bank of pennies and a bank of two cents in a different area. They will all get played. And Don, is your is your thought on denoming up? Is it to keep them free for your uh, for your stronger players, like to kind of keep the riffraff off those machines? Absolutely. Okay. Now these players have a spot that they can they know that they can get on those games. Most likely, they'll still be busy on the weekends, but now they've got a pretty good spot that they know when they come to this casino, I can play my Buffalo Gold collection because I know that that two cent bank or that nickel bank isn't going to have someone sitting there, you know, playing the minimum bet. Okay. Excellent point. Excellent point. So basically don't, don't be uh, shy about pricing out the, the lower level players. <laughs> I Absolutely. Guess. Yeah, okay. Same thing you've done for dollar reels. You know, you have the same sure. titles at quarters and you have at halves, you have at dollars. Um, you know, you, you can price out some of those lower players and make sure that your players with the deeper wallets can get that time on device. Yeah. Okay. Excellent point. Um, okay, and then we move into the non-convertible core, for lack of a, a better phrase. So this is the the old cabinets, uh, again, typically older than than five years old. And really, what you're looking at here is boat anchor performance. So the bottom quarter of your floor, very, very, very low occupancy. So you know, this is the stuff that that you want to replace, uh, uh, quite frankly. And and again, we go back to the same point. You want to use your capital. You want to deploy your capital toward the best customers first. So start with the host level, the higher value players, isolate their favorite core products, replicate those with the highest you know mean occupancy rates and overall performance. And again. Your performance baseline on this stuff is 1.5x floor with very low intermarket dispersion. So, Don, more points on the convertible, non-convertible core? 
there's so much of the casino floors out there right now that just don't get played. Um, you've got older, fully depreciated cabinets that are obsolete. You can't get conversions for them anymore. You can probably reduce the size of your casino. The big thing is making sure you know which ones to pull off. Mm -hmm. There are host level players that their favorite game is still Queen of Atlantis. Um, so that's, we go back to the original point is working with marketing, making sure that you know who your top hundred players, fourth and fifth favorite games are, um, because you're going to have a lot of choices to pull off the floor. Most of the casinos out there, especially post COVID can reduce their floors by another 15 to 25%. Uh, they're just not getting played. Uh, the last study I looked at said 20% of the machines on casino floors get played an average of once every four hours. Yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah, we, we, when we do those, uh, you know, when we're doing the, the Cupid segmentation and, and all of those breakouts, what's always interesting to me is the, you know, just the, the poorest product on the floor oftentimes comprises, you know, 55, 60% of the of floor just really not getting played or, or, or doing much. And, and this is really, uh, it, it, it's a great segue into the next point, which is the, the transition plan. Uh, and and this is something that we we emphasize to everybody. So in the research that we've been doing, what we've seen is that floors are uh, far more bottom heavy than than we thought uh, previously. And so there really is a need to start transitioning that old inventory out that's really doggy and just you know pre-screening and getting better better replacements in. So. This kind of begs the question, well, okay, how do we want to do this? Because it's not as though anybody can big bang this. That would just be ridiculous in terms of uh, uh, capital requirements. So what we're doing with, uh, with a number of clients where we're, where we're um, uh, 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 facing this issue is we're, we're putting in place multi-year transition plans. And, and that's really the, the name of the game here. So it's, again, top-down prioritization. You start with your host level players, and then you move down descending order in, in terms of value. And at just generally what you want to decide here is where am I going to expand and where am I going to contract? And then you want to limit procurement moving forward to stuff that's proven. Again, premium at a baseline at 2.5x floor with low intermarket dispersion, core at 1.5x floor with low intermarket dispersion, and don't be afraid to double up. So that's that's kind of the 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 strategy moving forward. And then people ask, well, what do we want to do? What, what about just brand new stuff coming out that's that's not you know proven? Well, you can certainly take it on and and you should, but the idea here is that you want to devote a fixed percentage of your floor to experimentation. And then within that area, what you want to do is really limit that to trials and or uh, short-term uh, premium. Uh, um, uh, uh, placements. Um, and then ensure that moving forward, all purchases and leases support your long-term strategic plan. So any, any additional thoughts on that one, Don? If you're going to trial some product or put some stuff on the floor that hasn't, um, it's really first, first to market type stuff, mm -hmm. make sure you're giving that a good location. A lot of stuff has new math models and the new math models tend to only work in prime locations. Uh, we've seen a lot of them over the last few years as people have tried to do stuff out of the box. And if you put that in the middle of the floor, it's not going to get used. 
So you've got to have those in primeless, prime spots. And if you're going to give it a, a good chance at all for a success, and that's another reason why you want to limit it because you don't want to have trials in all your prime spots. Now, now, why, why is that done? Why is it that those math models, is it just that they, it, they just simply need more exposure or, or what, what's your thought there? Yeah, it's a combination of needing more exposure and the loyalty scores on these math models. Since it's so new and so out of the box, uh, the loyalty scores are really, really low. So you see a lot of people not going back to these games because it's just um, beyond their comfort level. So, and there's a couple of games that I've, I've played that were just um, totally unique and I enjoyed them. But if you bury them, you just don't think about them. They've got to be in those prime spots. And do you feel, so one thing I've noticed uh, um, about trials and, and test banks and, and whatnot is I, I do feel that oftentimes the, the approach is just to slap them on the floor with, without much of a, you know, much in the way of a systematic approach to it. So how, how important do you feel it is to, let's say, experiment with the configurations on those machines and whatnot once they're, once they're in? It's a really good point. Most of the time, your um, trial banks and test banks are right up front, you know, mm -hmm. closest to the doors, closest to your walkways. Um, most of them have, they're mostly carousels, and they'll have multiple titles on it, and the success rate on them is low. Mm -hmm. um, and the good thing for the operators who have them is you end up getting free conversions out of it. Um, the bad thing is... <laughs> The cabinets that they put these on, they're obsoleting after three and four years. So uh, you have these for a limited time. And any cabinet you buy now, even though you're depreciating after five or seven years, you're going to have that cabinet on your floor for 10 plus years. Yeah. Unless you're one of the very, very few lucky ones that's getting enough capital to flip out 15, 20% of your floor in cabinets every year. And those are um, on the way of the dodo bird. Sure. And Will, do you, do you feel on these, uh, let's say you have a, a test bank or, or something that's, you know, new and experimental, et cetera. Would you shorten the evaluation cycle on these things like before you would make a configuration change? So let's say you maybe go jump in there and start tweaking after 30 days as opposed to 90 days or, or how, how would you generally go about that? Yeah. If you're not getting information from the manufacturer as far as what the best hold percentage is, what the best line count is, things like that. Yeah, I experiment every 30 days. Okay. Um, trying to find that sweet spot, you know, adjust the line counts, adjust the hold percentage and, and see what it does. Um, or if you're if you really wanted to set up the games differently. If you've got um, two themes, put one at 10%, one at 12%, one at 40 lines, one at 50 lines, and see if there's a difference. Um, because you end up stumbling onto that sweet spot and you can have a nice game. Yeah. And I, I think probably you'd look at it and say, okay, and if it's not, let's say 1.5 X floor, you know, mean by the end of it, you probably just want to lose that product. Would that be your guidance on that? Yeah. One? Yeah. After 90 days, you know, maybe a hundred and 120 days. Um, if it's not performing at one and a half times house average time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, and then I think this just this uh, last uh, point, which is a bit of a, a, a shameless plug here, uh, we would say, you know, uh, on the on the diversification front, a, a good shortcut is just to give us a ring. We're we're um, we're deeply involved in this uh, right now, um, uh, and and doing a number of these uh, transitions for for a number of of clients, and we built in. 
uh, utilities uh, in into real metrics for for basically every every uh, practice that we've been uh, discussing. Uh, here today. So we've got a lot of cool features in here that help you root these things out and then also to to screen things uh, before they're coming in. And then, of course, uh, Don, with the with the work you're all doing in uh, professional services, it's really helping people analyze this uh, up front and then get into place that multi-year transition plan. Because I, I, I do feel that you know, there are just so many trade-offs and sweet spots and a, and a lot of things to take into consideration and and analyze here. So uh, having a, a helping hand with somebody who, who knows the art uh, inside out is uh, unquestionably invaluable. Uh, Don, any anything to add there? <laughs> um, we recently rolled out in our a, a nice beta test on some fair share analysis for every property. So when you would log into the site, it would automatically, the first thing you would see would be a 30,000 foot view of your property. And it would show you where you're over diversified, what you're short, where you're heavy, uh, what your next steps should be for removals, things like that. And then we actually drill down to things like what games you don't have on your floor that you should. So there's a lot of really neat tools in there and we keep developing and keep adding to it. We've got some ideas come out of G2E this year that we'll be working on for 2023 to make it even more impactful um, for the casino operators and make it easier for the, to do their jobs. Yeah, those those fair share calcs they they went over really well with people because a lot of a lot of the, the slot directors and whatnot they're they're doing those on a monthly basis and they all mention, man, it's a lot of work. <laughs> so it was it was really cool to see that reception that now that they when they go into real metrics right up front right in the operational overview you can get all those uh, fair share calculations all you know precompiled for you right out of the gate and yeah I, I we received a lot of a lot of Great compliments and and thank yous on that one. So that was cool, for sure. Okay, well, I think uh, Don, that that pretty much uh, wraps us up uh, uh, for this episode. So uh, again, uh, for anybody who's listening today, if you uh, would like to drop us an email about uh, uh, this uh, this uh, uh, webcast or anything we're discussing here today or something you'd like to discuss, please just drop us an email at realcast at realmetrics.com. Again, R-E-E-L-C-A-S-T at realmetrics.com. And Don, I, I think that wraps us up here. Cool. Thanks, Nick. Okay, thanks. You have a great day. You too. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.